Miracy. Get to know people in a genuine way, just not not because we want something, just really develop relationship with like-minded people. Make a list of people you admire and talk to them every week. Do you feel isolated and alone in your coaching practice? And maybe you find it hard to get support and connections within your industry, but you are not alone. Loneliness can be a significant issue for coaches who often work independently from home without the support of colleagues or in a physical workplace. I'm Melinda Cohen and you're listening to Just Between Coaches. And I run a business called The Coaches Console and we're proud to have helped thousands of coaches create thriving and profitable businesses. This is a podcast where we answer burning questions that newer coaches would love to ask a more experienced coach. And as coaches, we all learn along the way and understand how crucial it is to nurture meaningful relationships with our fellow peers. Not only does it bring us personal fulfillment, but it also drives growth and development in our business. And today's guest took matters into her own hands to break the loneliness she felt and built a community around herself as an entrepreneur. Today, I've invited Isabel Uhl to the conversation. Isabel is a holistic recovery coach, a certified yoga teacher, and a master NLP and timeline therapy coach who worked in the more traditional field of social work for about 15 years. She also has a history of addiction, Crohn's disease, and borderline personality disorder, which she recovered from. Welcome, Isabel. Thank you. I'm really excited to have you on the show and talk about this topic. And before we do, would you mind sharing just a little bit of your background with our listeners? Yes, of course. Thank you so much for having me. First of all, my background as a social worker is I've been working in youth protection for 15 years and 20 years for buses. So I had a team, I had clinical meetings where I could share what I was uh, experiencing with my clients. And I had people who were giving me hints on how to work with certain clients and all of that. And so when I had to quit this job because I was so sick with Crohn's. It was the gift from the universe for me to stop and think and rethink how I lived my life. So Crohn's made me quit drinking because I couldn't drink anymore. So I, I saw my drinking problem right in my face. So I did what I needed to do about that. And then Crohn's sat me down for almost 10 years. I was going to sleep anxious and I was waking up anxious. So when I got really sick with that, I had to make choices. So I decided to create my own. Um, in my mind, it wasn't a business. In my mind, it was a program to help people get better and to help social worker and teachers and anyone who was working with people to take care of themselves and, and work differently with their clients. And so I did that in 2017. And at the same time, I was teaching yoga. So I taught yoga. I was creating my program and things went on. The program became a business and became an online program for people in recovery and became a, a yoga class specialized in recovery from addiction. So yes, and now I help my fellow coaches, my fellow social workers who are still in the field and anyone who wants to 
find their true nature and go back to that. My motto in French is faire de sa vie une œuvre d'art. So make your life a piece of art. <laughs> mm, I love that's, that. Yeah. So that's what I want to help people do. So whatever they're doing or whatever they're experiencing in whatever field, I want to be there to help these people to make their life a piece of art. I love it. It sounds good in English. It sounds even more amazing in French. Oh, yes, <laughs> for sure. Now we're talking about the topic of entrepreneurial loneliness. And we hear that with the coaches that we serve and support. Sometimes they use the word isolation. I feel really isolated or alone. And tell us a little bit about your feelings of loneliness in your coaching business when you started out. What were some of the challenges that you faced? Well, I was so used to having a team and share whatever I was experiencing. And because I was at the beginning working with troubled teens, I needed to say something to someone about it. When you work with people who are suffering, you need to let it go somewhere. So I used to have a team for that. So when I started my my own business and with the pandemic, I I became 100% dedicated to my to my program. So what I did first and it was not conscious is I was talking to my boyfriend. So he became my team. <laughs> not a good idea. <laughs> The dinners are very heavy if you do that. <laughs> it's not fair for our our loved ones. They cannot be the our team. They don't know what to do with that and they don't know what to tell us about it anyway. So first thing I acknowledge is that I was doing that. And then I realized that I needed to talk about it to someone. Someone put me in contact with a guy on LinkedIn who was studying to become a coach. And I met with the guy and I told him, I don't really need Like, I don't need a coach. I don't need, what I need is someone to talk to once a week. And he said, oh, nice, because he wasn't a coach yet. He was just studying. And he said, oh, that's good. So we did that for a while. Every Friday, we would spend 30 minutes, an hour, and just share what we've learned during the week, what we experienced. But it wasn't enough. I don't know if it's because I'm getting a little older, but the one-on-one for me, it's not, enough. I need to make more impact on more people at the same time. It took a while before I got to create something around me. I realized that in recovery, what I teach and what we've learned is that there's like three pillars for people to recover from addiction. And when I was reflecting on that, I thought, well, these are the three pillars of life. (laughs) We need a path, we need a community, and we need to serve. So I thought I would do something about my problem, which was isolation in my coaching business. When you said the word community, it reminded me when I, oh my gosh, probably halfway through my coaching business. So let's say 10 years, 12 years into my coaching practice and my coaching business, Mm -hmm. I met somebody who became a good friend, mentor that really broke down. What does community mean? Mm -hmm. And For the first time, somebody had talked about being very intentional with the kind of community. I mean, you know, there's all those sayings of you are the sum of the five people you surround yourself with and it matters who is around you. And we know all of that. But to really be intentional about, well, who is in my community? And she actually had categories. I talk about this in my book, The Confident Coach, uh, how I learned it from Barbara Hewson. You know, there's that the true believers that absolutely believe in us no matter what, like your boyfriend or our partners or parents. There's the way showers. 
they're ahead of us on the path and they can show us the path that we're on. There's the messengers that bring the information to us that we need to know so we can take the next steps. And our confidants and colleagues that are with us on the journey and have our backs no matter what. And then there's, you know, possibly the naysayers and maybe there's a role for them. And so being intentional about creating that community can make a, an immediate difference on that feeling of loneliness or isolation or, you know, not dumping on our partners and loved ones inappropriately. This nuance is so important. In yoga, we will say something, and Buddhism will say sangha. And the definition of a sangha is a group of people who are looking in the same direction. So that is very important, what you just brought up, that we choose carefully, intentionally, who will be part of our community when it comes to share what we experience in our business as coach. Now, you shared those three pillars of recovery in life, which, you know, is, applies to our business. So where do you want to take us inside that? What do you want to share with us? The first thing that came to my mind when I reflected on that is the first thing I did is allow myself to remain a student. So every year I invest a, a fair amount of money in programs with mentors, business coaches or coaches or anyone who has something that I want. And when I connect, there's a community there with people wants to share and they need to share. And so that's the first thing that came to my mind investing our time and energy and money in studying and be open to receive what others have to say and share on any topic. And through this student position and taking courses and getting mentorship with mentors and connected to several communities, create masterminds. I really, really love masterminds. Yeah. Something that I've learned over the years that I've experienced for myself in my own journey is getting into this group with like-minded people and there's that community there and where you can be vulnerable. When we can allow ourselves to be on our path with others, being on the path is messy. Mm -hmm. I mean, we're always learning, which means we have to unlearn, we have to relearn, we have to practice, we have to implement, and we go through those cycles of learning. So it's always messy. But when we're on that path and allow ourselves to be witnessed on our journey, I think that's a significant part of our growth and evolution while we witness others hold space for them, acknowledge, reflect for them their journey. We can see others and be seen by others. Yes, because people who are afraid to go there, often they don't want to be judged and they're missing us. They don't feel it's a safe space. So it's very important that we feel safe in these mastermind groups because our subconscious mind cannot see the whole picture. The way I see life with his limitations is not the same way you see life with your limitations. So when we share, I get a piece of what you got and you get a piece of what I got. And suddenly there's multiple solutions that I didn't think about. And I feel held and I feel supported and I feel safe in that space. And the, the safety piece is very, very important too, I think, in looking for community to, to break the isolation of the, of the coaches. What are some of the strategies that you've used to build strong relationships with other coaches or maybe even colleagues or confidants, whatever they are, you know, I'll just use the word coaches here. What are some effective ways to establish and maintain those relationships within our communities? I think consistency is a, is a key to put that into our calendar. Just don't be just casual about it. It's very important to have those space where we can share with someone else 
or a group of people, but that space should be in our calendar every week or every two weeks or whatever, what you decide, but it has to be in the calendar and, and we have to commit and be there. And also I find that some people will be drawn to take from these groups and some other people will, will find it easier to give and not ask for anything. And I really think that a privilege and a responsibility that we need to develop when we connect with other coaches is to learn to take and ask for what you need and learn to give. And when we do that, we create a safe space and, and we create trust. That's the power of connecting with our fellow coaches. Mm -hmm. I like that you said, put it in the calendar. Most of us that have our own business, we come from that employee mindset where like you started the conversation, I'm used to working with a team. I've got my colleagues there. I've got my manager, my boss, whatever. Mm -hmm. And now we don't. And so we have to learn how to do that differently. And so I calendared it. Like I would put my marketing activity on my calendar or my coaching sessions on the calendar. I would put relationship building on the calendar. Yes. And I would every week, I would say, who's one, two or three people that I can reach out to. And I would either ask myself, is there an intangible thing that I can share with them or a tangible thing that I can share with them? Like, did I read an article and it made me think of that person? And so I'm like, you know what? I thought of you. I think you might like this. And I really just focused on the giving in the early days, just as I started establishing the relationships. Or, you know, is there a, a resource that I can share or a book that I just loved that I, I think somebody else would really enjoy? Or is there an introduction that I could make. And I would come up with one, two or three people each week and just be consistent and uh, establishing that trust and relationship and getting to know them and yes. then getting to know me. And I, I really like that you talked about putting it in your calendar. Yes. And get to know people in a genuine way, not because we want something, just really develop relationship with like-minded people. And I love what you just said. One of my mentor, Bob Proctor, would tell us, make yeah. a list of people you admire. And it was like 15 people and talk to them every week. It's a bit much for me, but write down a list of people you admire. And then every other week or every week, choose two or three people and the week after two or three people and ask how you can be of service or just like you said, share an article or share a book and put yourself out there. Now, another thing that I did, I still do it. Uh, we use this resource in our business called Send Out Cards. Fine. And it's just a, a simple technology platform that you can write handwritten cards. It's handwritten, mailed, an actual card goes to their mailbox and uh, it just keeps things personal. So we used to use that. And the founder of that um, wrote a book called Promptings. And he told a story in his book about when somebody would pop into his mind, he would naturally just trust that and would use it as a prompt to then reach out and call them or send them a message or something like that. And that's what led him to turn it into send out cards so that he could easily do that. And so from the moment I've read that in that book, ever since somebody pops into my head, I just trust, I don't know why, it might be out of the blue, maybe I haven't talked to him in years, or maybe I just talked to him yesterday, but I trust that and I'll just shoot a quick text message or an email or leave a voicemail or you know, a direct message on social media, however I interact with them. And sometimes it'll just say, thinking of you, hope you're having a good day. And nothing more than that. I find that more times than not, my intuition 
yes, is tapping into something beyond me. And all of a sudden they're saying, oh my gosh, I was just going to call you to ask you about such and such. Or uh, it sparks a conversation and they're like, oh my gosh, this was the missing piece. Or And so those promptings I found to be another great way to maintain those relationships uh, and really tap into my intuition doing so. Let's talk about how do those of us that are introverts get out of that comfort of being isolated by our house because it's our nature to fuel ourselves up. How do we have the discipline to go out and get connected, interact with others? Oh, yes. I I think I'm still looking for the answer. One of my friend and coaches told me once that he said, take a moment and think, what charges your batteries, being alone or being in people? And me totally being alone. I can go like five or six days in a row not seeing anyone. I don't really find out I want to go out. So for me right now, the solution is discipline. I need to discipline myself. And discipline for me implies that I become a disciple of my soul and my soul needs to be connected to people for my own health, mental health. So now in my calendar, I have two meetings, not on Zoom, outside of the house. That's my discipline. Twice a week, I get in the car. I drive to this place, I sit down in a room with people I love and I go and have lunch with usually one friend. And when that one friend wants to add someone to our little party, I I don't really like it, but I say yes, because I know I need to work on that. I need to respect the fact that I, I feel good by myself, but find a balance. Like being always outside wouldn't be good for me and being always alone here, I mean, in my apartment wouldn't be good for me too. So Discipline is the key. Discipline doesn't mean easy. It means discipline. Yeah, for me, it meant like diligent effort. Yes. I had to really be focused. It's like, okay, this is important. And like you said, I love how you described it. I had to be a disciple of my soul. Yes. It's like, this is how I'm going to do the work that I'm here to do. This is part of it. And if I'm going to be committed to that, how can I do it in a way that serves me? For me, it's networking. I love connecting people. And so I found a networking group. And man, when I stood up that first time, my knees were literally shaking and knocking. And my paper that I was holding and reading from was trembling. I was so nervous that I was going to throw up. But what I quickly learned is that networking is designed for introverts because you have a few relationships that you go deep on. It's like, no, let's just find those four or five, eight or 10 people, build relationships have meaningful conversations and support each other from that place. And I'm like, oh my God, this was invented for exactly like me. And then I could get excited because I found a way to work it that is in alignment with me as an introvert. And it always took disciplined effort to do so. Totally. And discipline is good. It's good for anyone. Discipline is the opposite of what we've been programmed with, like just go with the flow. That's a recipe for failure. I think discipline is a key for anything we want to achieve. And when I changed the meaning of the word in my mind, like the emotions around discipline, instead of being like, oh, no, I don't want to submit to something. And when it became, it was serving me, like I get up every morning, I go to my mat and I practice yoga and meditation and breathing and chanting every morning. It helps me having a discipline in, the, in all areas of my life. You know, we don't always know where we're going to find community. 
and it might be in unexpected places. And it may not even have to do with our business at all. It may be completely unrelated. I know one of the things that I, one of my passions outside of business is snow skiing. I love skiing. My husband and I met that way. We go on ski trips every year and we are immersed in that community. But it has nothing to do with business, but it's another way to kind of balance out maybe some of those feelings of being isolated, working from our home office or being a solopreneur and being engaged in other communities. So it doesn't always have to be about the topic of business. And solopreneur or introvert, we really need that. Like the the ski community, the, the friends you made. And like for me, it's AA and it's also yoga. I have a community in yoga. I have mentors, but they're a little far away. The community is more around the United States and I'm in Quebec. So, but every time there's a retreat, if I can go, I go and I connect to like-minded people, people I really love. What are some tips uh, for our listeners for finding the right peer group or mentor for support? My first tip would be learn to know yourself first. What are your needs and your values? Because some of us, we don't know what we need. We don't know what our values are. And we would just go out there and try things. But who are you? What do you need? And what are your values? First tip. And this is not an easy exercise. It takes reflection. It takes time. And you need to write that down in your journal. You ask yourself, what is important to me in that field? Let's say in my, in my coaching business. And repeat the question and repeat the question. And write down any answer that are coming up. And then order in that. And be clear with what you need. I feel that when we're clear, something will, will come up. Another thing that I, um, I recommend to a lot of people, like if they're joining, let's say, a networking group, for example, or they want to become part of an organization or something that they're going to have regular interaction with, with others, visit at least three times. Because uh, the first time you visit, it might be hard to really look at that because of your own nervousness for whatever reason that might be there. The second time, Maybe it's the same experience, maybe not, but a third time will give you that through line so you can really identify, does this group that I'm interacting with, does it align with my needs and values? Does it resonate with me? Do I like it? And just really pay attention to all the indicators. But I, I recommend to visit at least three times before you make any sort of commitment to joining or regular participation, whatever that might be. But yeah, that and tell people that you, you are looking for a group and you are looking for support, maybe you'll find a mastermind and you, you'll go and you won't feel comfortable after three times. And it's fine too. Yep. look for another one. <laughs> yeah, you know, I know that when I was looking because I joined a networking group, that was my marketing budget when I first started. And my gosh, I probably visited five different networking groups and it was blatantly obvious which one was for me and which ones were not. And it didn't, it what didn't have to be about me or them. It's just, this is, it doesn't feel right. And then I would keep visiting other ones. So yeah, it doesn't let it be right and real and true and aligned for you. Yes. So let's summarize some of the stuff that we've talked about. We talked about, well, I love your mantra that you gave us at the very beginning, make your life a piece of art. And so our journey as we go through having our own business, setting up our business, launching it, running it, growing it, whatever that means for you, make it a piece of art. Make your life, your business a piece of art. I love that. And I, I love how you brought in the three pillars of recovery to just like, well, that's the three pillars of life, which apply to business and community is a big one. And 
to find the right and appropriate support and then to have consistent interaction. We talked about creating that intentional community, not just surrounding yourself with people, but the right kinds of people. You talked about how first you let yourself remain a student with mentors and coaches so that we're connected in that way. And often because we connect in that way, it comes with a community of like-minded people where we can be vulnerable, be visible. We talked about being witnessed by other and the magic of that and then the ability to witness others and most of all to make sure we feel safe or create safety for others. We talked about creating our own community for the people that we serve and doing that simultaneously and some of the solutions to minimize or get rid of those feelings of isolation and loneliness is consistency like put it in your calendar whatever that is for you however you're interacting with others put it in your calendar and commit because that's where we prioritize it. And I love that you gave the tip, find 15 people and a couple of those each week, just reach out to them. We talked about the promptings. We talked about the sharing our tangibles, intangibles, resources, whatever it is, and let it be a balance of give and take and the discipline that we need to have and being a disciple of our soul and doing whatever we need to, to fuel that. Isabel, do you have any parting words on this for our listeners? Oh my God, I think I I always... What comes to my mind is always what you said at the beginning, make your life a piece of art. Like there's no need to be so serious. There should be joy in everything we do. So when it's hard, we can connect to joyful experiences. And it's a blessing that we have that we can coach and and work with people and support them. And we really need to do that from a place where our cup is full. So that should be our priority. Yes. I love that. Thank you for listening to this episode of Just Between Coaches. And also a big thank you to Isabel for this incredible conversation. You can actually find out more about her at isabelloul.com. That's Isabel, I-S-A-B-E-L-L-E, Ool, H-O-U-L-E.com. Isabel, thank you so much for coming to the show. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. So fun. Thank you so much. I'm Melinda Cohen, and you've been listening to Just Between Coaches. Just Between Coaches is part of the Mayor CFM podcast network, which also includes such shows as Blowing Up and Behind the Launch. Nishi Lance produced this episode. I wrote this episode together with her. Cynthia Lamb is our supervising producer, and Danny Eni is our executive producer. Post-production was by Post Office Sound. If you want to listen to upcoming and previous great episodes on Just Between Coaches, please follow us on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you might be listening right now. And if you like the show, please leave us a starred review. It's the best way to help us get these ideas to more people. And so the tailor, having gathered together the beautiful scraps, began to sew. He stitched and he sewed and he sewed and he stitched. And by the morning time, he had made himself a beautiful coat. Now, when he wore his coat into the market, everyone admired it so much that the tailor decided to wear the new coat everywhere. And that's what he did. He wore it and wore it and wore it 
until it was all worn out. Or was it? In each episode of Once Upon a Business, Lisa shares a fairy folk or traditional tale and then extracts rich business lessons that are applicable for entrepreneurs, coaches, and course creators. Stories always take us on a journey from one place to the next. Sometimes this journey is literal, sometimes it's metaphorical, but always we find ourselves transformed. This story, The Tailor's Coat, originating from Europe, takes us through a literal transformation of the pieces of cloth and yet somehow teaches a powerful lesson. It does speak to a common entrepreneurial journey. Many of us start out working for someone else and give them everything we've got. Perhaps the tailor finally deciding to make something for himself is similar to the entrepreneurial desire to begin to create a business for ourselves. We take the scraps, the skills that we've developed, the experience that we've gained, and we launch our own business. I think it's an incredibly important skill for an entrepreneur, for anybody running a business, to be able to know that creating something out of nothing is always possible. And it's often the way forward because it's out of the scraps of what's been done before. It's out of almost the missing pieces that are not quite there that we can actually bring our creativity and bring our determination and bring our vision to create something really wonderful, really brand new and really beautiful. And then we can walk around the town with it. You know, we can be proud, we can step out and we can wear it until it's almost worn out, but not quite. To hear more of Lisa's stories and learn the deep lessons they carry, make sure you subscribe to Once Upon a Business wherever you get your podcasts. We'll see you every other week with a brand new episode.